All right, what's up, Faith Church? Everybody doing good today? Was that worship powerful or what? Man, God, love worshiping with you guys. So glad you guys are here. We are kicking off spring break weekend. It's kind of nasty outside, but you guys are here. So one time, put it to hands together for all the people who decided to come out to church today. One time, we, you guys look good, I'm be honest. I kind of get, I know like I'm pr- probably a little partial, but we got a good-looking church. Y'all know that? Like, y'all some good-looking people out there. One time, put your hands together for everybody who couldn't make it today or just didn't make it today on that camera. Thank you guys for joining us online. Whether you're watching on Facebook, you're watching on our website. We are just glad that you're here. We're in week two today of a series we kicked off last week called What Would Jesus Do? Where we are kind of taking a look back um, at the greatest, honestly, decade of all time, right? It's the 90s. One more time, how many of you in the room, just so I can remember, how many of you would say you were a 90s child? Raise your hand. Where's my people at? These are my people. There's a lot of us in here, right? You're probably the ones that I heard from this week uh, because last week, if you were here, if you weren't, I challenge you, go. Um, It's pretty good, right? It's pretty good. Uh, But go online, check out the message. Last week, um, we spent some time talking about Jesus, but we opened it kind of talking a little bit about some of my favorite athletes from the 90s, including the greatest um, of all time, which is Michael Jeffrey Jordan, um, the airness himself. Um, But you would not believe how many people were like frustrated at me because I only talked about like sports last week. And so I'm getting all these messages and people coming up to me like, how did you not talk about this or this or this? And I realized that we kind of messed up making this like mini-series so short because we could have went like eight, nine weeks celebrating the 90s, right? And so today, just to try to make all you guys happy, because I'm, you know, I kind of like to be liked, um, let's just take another little trip down memory lane, um, and let's start with some 90s music. Anybody 90s music fans out there? You know, the 90s uh, music-wise had a little something for everybody. I don't care what, I don't care what genre you prefer. Um, it had a little something for everybody. You can go all the way back, like early 90s, into like the rap and hip-hop worlds. You had um, MC Hammer. Anybody? Right? Can't touch this time. You had, that was, you know, Vanilla Ice. Some of you were more like ding, 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 ding. Right? We had, you can jump a little. If you like the gangster rap, like some of y'all are here. Um, you had Tupac. You had Biggie. Like it, right? So yeah, it, was, it was like, Tupac, yeah! Tupac! Right? So they've just been waiting on her chance. Right? Tupac, yeah, he's still alive. Um, Hip-hop, like rap in the 90s was unreal. Maybe you were more like on the rock side of things. And so you can kind of go back into the alternative movement that kicked off in the 90s, right? You had Nirvana. You had, yeah, we had Pearl Jam. We had Soundgarden, like Alice in Chains. Like you had all these people that like honestly, like bands like Nirvana um, single-handedly crushed hair metal by themselves. Like Smells Like Teen Spirit came out and everybody forgot who Poison was immediately. It was like, oh, forget that. This is awesome, right? So you had the alternative movement. You had country. How many country music fans in the house? The 90s, it did not get any better than 90s country music, right? You had Garth, the entertainer himself, right? Well, I got friends. You had the king, George Strait, right? He was rocking still in the 90s. Tim McGraw, anybody? Tim McGraw, he was 90s. Reba, you had Reba. Brooks and Dunn, anybody? The first cassette tape I ever bought myself, right? Brooks and Dunn, had a little boot scooting boogie, right? Sorry. That was 90s. It was great. Jump over to like the kind of the R&B right world. You had Boys to Men. Anybody? Yeah. 
That's still on the playlist today, right? Boys to Men, you had All for One. You had like Casey and JoJo. Anybody remember them? Fantastic. You look at like the ladies' side of things. You had Mariah. Anybody? So, see, everybody knows who Mariah is, but don't nobody know any song Mariah Carey sang except that one with Boys to Men that everybody knows because it was Boys to Men, not because it was Mariah, right? But people know who Mariah is. Whitney, Whitney Houston, anybody? Greatest vocalist of all time, in my opinion. Like, can't nobody sing like Whitney anymore. Uh, fantastic. You had the boy band movement, right, later on. So how many of you, this was the debate in the 90s, if you remember. How many of you were Backstreet Boys? Raise your hand. Backstreet, okay. How many of you were in sync? Raise your hands. More in syncers. Backstreet won the first service. In sync wins this service. We'll see what third service does. I was an in sync guy um, because I do have a slight man crush on Justin Timberlake, okay? <laughs> I'm in church. I can say that. Help me, pray for me. Um, but in sync, I mean, we wouldn't have Justin Timberlake today if it wasn't for the 90s, if it wasn't for in sync. You had the girls kind of going at you. You had the rivalry uh, between Christina Aguilera and Britney Spears, right? How many Christina fans? Well, nobody Christina fan. That's the way it was because everybody was Britney, right? And some of y'all was like, God, no, just get rid of all of them. That's terrible, right? That, the 90s music was fantastic. And then, then you had the movie world, right? 90s movies. You had movies like this one, one of the greatest Christmas movies of all time, right? Home Alone, like Home Alone 1, Home Alone 2, both classics. You get into like 3, 4, 12, and 18. They're terrible. They just they should have stopped after 2. Uh, but Home Alone was fantastic. Uh, we had our main man, Forrest Gump. Anybody? Yep, great movie. Right? We learned that life is like a box of chocolates, you know, that you never know what you're going to get. It's true. Um, the next one, how about um, a little governor, right? I'll be back. The Terminator. Come on, it's awesome. You had uh, the movie that sort of changed the film industry forever um, with Jurassic Park. Anybody remember when Jurassic Park came out? Like you went to the theaters to see Jurassic Park and you could not believe what your eyes were seeing because of the realism of those dinosaurs. Like they had done like CG and animatronics in movies before Jurassic Park, but any like film history buff will tell you Jurassic Park changed the game. Everything was different after Jurassic Park. You had movies like, um, God, we could keep going, Titanic, anybody? Yeah. So I wasn't ever a big Titanic fan, all because there was room for Jack on that piece of wood. It was. It's just stupid. I never liked it, you know. I wasn't a fan. My favorite movie of all time, I didn't even put the picture up, The Shawshank Redemption. Anybody? God, so good. The 90s were fantastic. Television was great in the 90s, right? Anybody remember this one? Seinfeld, any fans? Raise your hands. See, I learned you either love Seinfeld or you couldn't stand Seinfeld. There was no, like, middle ground. You either got the humor, and it was, like, the greatest thing ever, or you just didn't get it. Like, that's stupid. Why are you laughing at that? Um, how many of you in the room, okay, how many in the room are, like, today, you would say, like, you've been a Grey's Anatomy fan? Like, you like Grey's Anatomy, yep. Chicago Med, those type shows, like, the following the real-life drama of hospitals. Like, there are nurses and doctors in the room today because of this show right here, Right? Y'all remember it, the greatest drama of the 90s. Like if you had never seen ER, fantastic. We today, we would not have George Clooney if it weren't for ER in the 90s, right? Some of y'all like, yeah, forget George Clooney. That's all right. We, one of my favorite shows, we had this one. Da-na-na-na, da-na-na-na. Anybody? No? 
See, I was team Dylan. There were some people that were team Brandon, and everybody was team Valerie. That's just the way it worked, right? Beverly Hills, 90210. They tried to do a remake in the 2000s. It was terrible, horrible show, but Beverly Hills, 90210. I bet this one will be a hit. How about this one? Anybody? Yeah. Here's the test to know if you're really a Friends fan, right? So watch this. So no one told you life was going to be this way. See? Yeah, see? That's the ones that love it. It's like you can't help it. It's like, I love it. You're just waiting for it. Friends, everybody loved Friends. You know, you had uh, my personal uh, favorite show of the 90s because it contained my hero. Um, this is my dog right here. If you, were a, if you were a boy, like, coming up through middle school and, like, you weren't, like, a fan of Zach Morris, like, you just weren't alive. You know, he had, the, he had the big cell phone. Remember, like, the brick that he would hold up? You know, everybody wanted to be Zach Morris. And we could go on and on and on and on for hours at the greatness of all these pop culture um, icons and celebrities and athletes and all these things that made the 90s the greatest decade of all time. But just like we said last week, the issue with all these things that we're talking about is this, that their greatness is limited to their time and space. That's why you can't compare. Have any of you ever tried to go back and watch some of the, like, some of the shows or some of the things that you were just enthralled by in the 90s today? And, like, the quality's terrible and, like, the acting's, like, subpar. And you're like, how is this, like, such a big thing? It's because its greatness was limited to time and space. And so this series, What Would Jesus Do?, is a series where we're diving into understanding the life, right, of the man. Yes, the God who Jesus was, but the man of Jesus because we are called to pattern our lives after the greatest of all time who is not limited by time. In space. I was reading this past week, the book of Colossians. I came across this. I had to share it with you. This is kind of breaking the rules of preaching because it's a lot of text, um, but it's Bible. So, like, that's what God did. So, read this Colossians chapter 1. Uh, starts in verse 15. It says, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything and was created and is supreme over all creation. It says, He made the things on earth in heavenly realms. It says that. Everything was created through him. He made the things we can see, the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. Verse 17 says, he existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He's the beginning supreme over all who will rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. That's who we celebrate today. That's who we celebrate every single Sunday. He's the greatest of all time. It's Jesus John the Apostle wrote in 1 John um, this. He said in chapter 2, verse 6, he says, Those who say they live in God should do what? You should live your lives as Jesus did. You call yourself a Christ follower. If you want to be in God, then the way you be in God is to live like Jesus did. And yet throughout the 90s, into the 2000s, even in here in 2018, we look at all these other people. We look at all these celebrities and we look at 
right, these heroes that we have, and we model our lives after them. You want to be like Michael Jordan. You want to be like LeBron James or Steph Curry, or maybe for you, you're more into kind of the music world, and it is the Justin Timberlakes. It is the Justin Biebers, and so we, we model our fashion after them, right? We follow them on Instagram, and they've got millions of followers, and people are so enamored by the lives they live because we want to, we want to do what they do because we want to be like them. And, you know, the church isn't exempt from this, right? There's this new term that's kind of come out in this social media age that we live um, called celebrity pastors. Y'all ever seen this? Like there are now pastors who've become celebrity in church worlds. People go around and they're trending on Twitter and they've got millions of followers and, right, the Christians want to dress like them and be like them and preach like them. They want their churches to be like them. So we try to be like, oh, if I could just be Stephen Furtick, or if I could just be like, just I want to be like Rich Wilgerson Jr. because he gets to hang out with Justin Bieber, and he did Kim and Kanye's wedding, and like he's, he's famous, and he's this celebrity, and I wish my church would do what he does. And all the while we as Christians miss it because we're putting our focus on the temporal. We're putting our, putting our focus on people whose greatness is limited by time and space. And this series is all about challenging us to to take a step back and to say, I don't want to know what Stephen Furtick would do, and I don't want to do what Steve Husky would do, but I want to do what Jesus would do because that's how you're created. That's what you're called to do. Jesus, this is the verse we looked at last week. Jesus himself told us in John chapter 13, Verse 15, he says, I have given you an example to follow. I'm your example. He says, do as I have done to you. So what does that look like? Last week we talked about how Jesus loved his neighbor, how we were called to do the same, how we're called to reach people, to love people where they are, to sacrifice our own wants and desires, to serve other people. Today I want to look at Jesus' life and I want to kind of understand a little bit about how Jesus connected with other people. Because did you know that Jesus spent his entire life focused on other people? His life was for other people. As you read through the Gospels, Jesus himself, right, lived 33 and a half years on this planet. I'm already older than Jesus was, right? I'm getting old. 33 and a half years, three and a half years of those 33 and a half were spent in public full-time ministry. That's the accounts that you read in the Gospels and you You kind of see how he interacted with people and the conversations that he had and the places that he went. And in the like grand scheme of Jesus' life, at the end of that 33 and a half years, yes, he came to pay for our sins and to reconcile us back to God. But when we look at like the result on this earth of Jesus' life, it wasn't a new book on theology and it wasn't a new doctrine. It wasn't a new code of ethics in a way that we should act As Christ followers, the result of Jesus' 33 and a half years on this earth was a new community. It was a new group of people who had come together under the leadership of Jesus who would eventually change the face of the planet as we know it. See, Jesus came to insert community, true community, into humanity so that we could best mirror and reflect who God is through Christ in us. So today I want to talk about that because, see, Jesus, as you follow his life through the earth, what we see is that Jesus would go and connect with the disenfranchised. 
He would, he would connect and spend time and be in relationship with, with the people whom the world had discredited and disvalued, right? Those, those throwaway people. In Jesus' day, it was, it was the slaves. Like nobody wanted anything to do with the slaves, and yet when you read through, you see Jesus like talking to them, becoming their friend. You see people like lepers who were total social outcasts in Jesus' day, and you see Jesus interacting with them and healing them and it was so wild. Women in Jesus' day were looked at as property, and yet Jesus comes along, and we see in his inner circle he's connecting and doing life with women. Totally countercultural. It's one of the big things that the religious people of Jesus' day had a problem with. Like, how are you, how are you interacting with these women, these prostitutes? Jesus, like, it, you can't say you're the Messiah and then live the way you're living because you can't connect with people like you're connecting. And Jesus said, you're missing the point. Children, do you remember in the stories in the Gospels when the children were trying to make their way to Jesus, right? Kids and women were just kind of afterthoughts. And so the disciples were trying to keep the children away from Jesus because they didn't want him to be distracted. And we see in the Gospels that that Jesus rebukes his disciples and says, don't you ever stop the kids from coming to me because I'm here to connect with them. I want to be a part of their life. Jesus, the religious people, threw this this tag on him. They called him the friend of sinners. Because, you see, Jesus would would go to the bars of the day, and he would go to these parties, right? His very first miracle was at a wedding, and, right, he turned the water into wine because they ran out of booze, right? And, like, that was so foreign. Like, Jesus, what are you doing? He would go to these weddings. He would go to the, the homes of these people and hang out with them. So they labeled him the friend of sinners. And although that was not a positive label, Jesus wore it like a badge of honor, right? He came to be the friend of sinners because he didn't come for the perfect. He came for the broken. And he came to be in relationship with them. And that's what we're called to do because if you want to know how you're supposed to live your life and you ask that question, if you have the audacity and the boldness to ask yourself, what would Jesus do? I'm here to tell you what Jesus would do. Jesus would connect with others. And that's what we want to talk about today. How would Jesus connect with other people? The first thing we're going to see today is that Jesus chased connection. We've already sang a song about it, right? But Jesus, when he was here on this earth, he was known for pursuing people. Every other religion, every religious leader outside of Jesus in the world has a message that says if you get right and you act a certain way and you dress a certain way and you fix yourself, eventually you can come to me. But Jesus came and flipped all that on its head and said, you know what, you don't have to come to me because I'm coming to you. I'm coming after you. I'm going to chase you down while you're still a sinner, while you're still broken, while you still don't have your act together. I'm chasing you down because I want to be in relationship with you. We sang that song about it, right? There's no mountain you won't climb up. There's no shadow you won't light up coming after me. There's no wall you won't kick down, lie you won't tear down. Because we know all through Jesus' life, he chased after people, people who ran from him. Jesus chased them down because he wasn't going to let them go. That's the song. Look, Luke chapter 15, verses 4 through 6. Jesus speaking, he says, if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he's found it, he will joyfully, right? He's not put off. He's not 
frustrated, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. And when he arrives, he'll call together his friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. See, Jesus, when it comes to relationships with people, Jesus was proactive. He didn't wait on you to connect with him. Jesus' goal was to connect with you. And I'm just curious, we as Christ followers, how often are we willing to connect with others? How often are we willing to chase other people down because we want to invite them in? We want to be in that relationship. Jesus would leave the 99, go after the one. So for us, just as Faith Church, I just wonder, how how are are we doing? When was the last time that even you were at church and you saw somebody that you didn't know, right? You see a guest come in and that you're intentionally going after them with the, with the express purpose of connecting with them? Or do we just sit back and kind of, you know, stay in our own world, stay in our own focus? If you want to know what Jesus would do, Jesus would chase them down only because he wanted to connect with them. He loved them that much. That's why he came. So he chased them down. The second thing that he did is when he chased them down, he would invite them in. Jesus invited connection. And you see this all through the Gospels. Everywhere you look, Jesus would be kind of traveling down a road, and he'd run into some fishermen, and he would give them this invitation. He would say, guys, follow me. That's an invitation to relationship. That's an invitation to connection. Follow me. I know you got this stuff going on, but why don't you come be my friend? Spend some time with me. Let's get to know each other. He invited them into his life. There's another story where Jesus runs into who the Bible calls a rich young ruler, right? This wealthy, affluent person. Do you know what Jesus asked him to do? Follow me. Connect with me. Let's be in relationship together. He invited him in. It didn't matter how old or young. It didn't matter how rich or poor. It didn't matter how educated they were or not educated that they were. He invited them in. Look at Mark chapter 3, verse 14. As he's inviting these people in, we're told that he then appointed 12 of them and called them apostles. They were to accompany him, and he would send them out to preach. That meant everywhere Jesus went, these guys were with him. They were a part of his life. He brought them in, and he hung out with them. He invited them in. And one of the, my most favorite things about Jesus was that it wasn't like the disciples were the good old boys club, right? Like Jesus, as he was inviting these people in, he didn't care if they had common interest. He didn't care like what the group dynamic was. He invited people in that were absolutely nothing like each other. The perfect example is two of his apostles, two of the original disciples. One of the guys' names was Simon. Now you had Simon Peter. This isn't that guy. So the Bible, in order to like differentiate this Simon from Simon Peter, calls this Simon, Simon the Zealot. Now this isn't like being zealous like we sang about the song earlier, like having zeal for God. The zealots, I looked up the definition so I wouldn't like murder it for you. Zealots of this day were a group of political adversaries to Roman rule in Judea. This is a group who were determined to protect their religion from the imposition of Roman rituals and to end Gentile rule over the Jewish people. The zealots of the day were basically a political party, except they were a political party that more closely resembled a group of terrorists than they did a group of Republicans or Democrats. 
You see, the zealots of the day were so frustrated, they could not stand the fact that Rome had come into their cities, into their towns, and had begun setting up shop. They couldn't stand the fact that Gentiles were ruling over Jews. And so they went to all numbers of ends to make sure that those people were cast out, even to violent ends, so that they could eradicate Rome from Judea. So they were violent people. If it took them killing you to get you out of Rome, they would do it, right? They were terrorists. And the group of people that zealots hated more than anybody, like they didn't like Rome, they didn't like Gentile leaders being over them, but the group they hated more than anybody was a group of people called tax collectors. Because you see, the tax collectors were a group of Jews who had basically turned traitor, Right? It was a group of Jews who had turned their back on the Jewish people and had begun working for the Roman Empire to take up money from the Jews and to hand it over to the evil empire that was Rome. Right, So the zealots hated the traitors that were the tax collectors. They wanted nothing to do with them except to throw them out of their country at any cost. It didn't matter what I had to do. I want you out because you're worthless to me. I can't stand what you're doing to my religion and to my nation. He was a zealot, Simon. See, there's this other guy now that was in Jesus' posse, Jesus' crew. His name was Matthew. Do you know what Matthew was? <laughs> he was a tax collector. So Jesus has this one guy who hates and despises this other guy. And then he's got this one guy who's a total traitor to all the other guys. But you know what? Jesus didn't care. Because he loved them all the same. He wanted to be in relationship with them. He wanted to connect with them, so he invited them in. And he would go and he would invite these people to be a part of his life. He would make space in his life for these people. And he didn't go to a group of friends who were already connected, who already liked each other. He was like, hey, you guys, why don't we all be friends and y'all come follow me? Jesus went around calling individuals. And these individuals didn't know who else was coming to the party. But it didn't matter because Jesus was not a respecter of persons. He wasn't a respecter of labels and what you wear and what you drive, where you live. It didn't matter. Jesus came to chase after connection. And when he got it, he invited them in to be a part of his life. The third thing we see in Jesus' life is that once people were invited in, then Jesus himself modeled connection for everybody else. And just like a fashion model of today, like a fashion model, you know what they do, right? They wear certain clothes, certain outfits, so that then you, and looking at them, can see, okay, this is what a certain jacket would look like on a person, or a pair of pants, or a pair of boots. Like, if I'm the model, you want to know what it looks like, look at me. That's what Jesus did for connection and relationship to all the disciples. He modeled connection for them. Now, here's the deal. I think a lot of you are listening to this. And you're like me. You're an introvert, okay? People don't believe me, but I'm very introverted when I get off this stage, okay? Like it, I have to work through like connecting with people and it's hard for me. Like I, I have to like be very disciplined in making myself connect with others, okay? So I think some of you out there are probably some introverts that are trying to excuse your lack of connection by using your personality as a crutch. And I'm just here to tell you that this is not an outgoing person thing. This is a Christian person thing, okay? This isn't for the people people. This is for all people who want to live their life as Jesus did. 
Now, if you're an introvert here, I'm not telling you that you have to become this outgoing person who loves to talk to people. You're the life of the party because that's not how God created you. But I'm also not going to take the edge off and make you think that you don't have to connect with people because you're shy or because you don't like talking to people. Jesus doesn't give you that option. You don't get to use that excuse. All Christ followers are called to connect with people because that's how Jesus modeled his life. I've asked some volunteers to come up, and I want to show you guys a little picture of what it looked like for Jesus and his disciples to connect with people, right? Group coming up, these are all some good-looking young people. Like, it'd be great to be friends. Like, if you're here and you're a young adult, you're a college student, like, man, I'd love to connect with this group of people, right? But here's the problem. You guys huddle up. This is what the world sees when we all come in to connect. This is, this is the world's model of connection, right? And it doesn't matter where you go. If you're a high school student here, maybe this is a group of athletes, right? This is the jocks. Maybe this is the cheerleaders. If you're a college student, maybe this is the sorority or the fraternity, right? This is the in crowd. Whatever it is, this could be a group of people who are connected. Like life's great for them. They're doing life together. They've got their friends. They're living life. Shared interest, the kids are the same age, they go to the same school, they're part of the same club, whatever it may be. They've got their clique, right? And so they're doing life together, but here's the problem. Me as a lost person, me as a new person, I come in and I need connection. Jesus would leave the 99 and go after the one, right? He's already told us that's how he would live his life. And so I come in as a lost person and I want to be a part, but here's the deal. Like, there's no room for me. They're so focused on themselves and they're so inward focused that they don't even see that I'm here. And so you've got this group of people like me who are on the outside trying to get in, needing connection, needing support. And you know what? The church is no different. The church might be the worst of all because there are visitors all over the world that come into churches right, and they've experienced God's doing something in their life, and they come in, and they want to get connected. They want to they make some friendships so they can kind of grow with them, but they come in, and this is what they see. A bunch of Christians that are all to themselves, and it's very exclusive. When you look at them, what do you see? You see their backsides, right? That's why so many people that are not in the church think of people who are in the church as backsides, right? So cliquish. Tried to go to that church, man. They didn't even talk to me. They didn't even welcome me in. Like, there was no space for me. I'm here to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, this is not how Jesus modeled connection. This is not how he lived his life. Instead, it's quite the contrary. Guys, flip around. If you want to know what Jesus would do in terms of relationships, this is the picture. Because, you see, they're still connected They're still in relationship. They're still doing life together, but no longer are they exclusive. But now they're inclusive because they're looking out, and who do they see? Me. And they see, man, this is a new guy coming in. Jesus loves him. He died for him. So you know what? They can see me, and they can invite me in. And now because they see me, guess what? There's room for me, right? Now I'm in. Now I'm connected. Now we get to grow together. That's how Jesus and the disciples lived their daily lives every single day. A new city, and they'd run into somebody, and they'd say, follow me. You guys come be a part of what God's doing here because they were outward-focused, not inward-focused. This is the way Jesus modeled connection. 
This is the way we as Christians are called to live our lives. It's not about you looking in your own clique. It's about looking out and seeing who out there needs Jesus. Who needs the support and the love of a family? Because we're going to find them. And when they get here, we're going to connect them and we're going to bring them in. And next week, Easter Sunday, right? We will have hundreds of visitors come into Faith Church. Hundreds. We will have over 4,000 people on our campus next weekend. I promise you that. I believe it. But here's the deal. When all those visitors come in, if they see the opposite of this and all they see is a bunch of backsides, then you know what they're going to do? They're going to walk out just as fast as they walked in because they won't see a place for themselves. But if we'll turn it around and we'll open up our lives and make room for other people, then it'll change everything. Because the fourth thing, thank you guys, you can roll. As Jesus, yeah, you can give my hand. As Jesus would chase after these connections and invite them in, and he began to model for us and for his disciples what it looked like to connect with other people. When you do life that way, the last thing that we see is that Jesus multiplied connection. See, it wasn't about him getting his group of people together and just kind of hanging out and doing life on their own little world and living in their own little bubble. It was always about other people. We see in Luke chapter 24, verses 48 and 49, that Jesus was the best at multiplying. Jesus tells his disciples, all of them, he says, you are witnesses. That's plural. You are witnesses of all these things. And now I will send the Holy Spirit just as my father promised. But he told them, but stay here, right? Stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from on high. You see, it was a community of people who first received the Holy Spirit. It was a community of people that Jesus gave the Great Commission and said, you guys look out and you guys go reach and you guys go connect because that's how we're going to grow. And just a few verses later, we know the story. If you've been in church, like you've heard that, that Jesus told Peter, he said, you're, you're the one on which I will build my church. Right? It was, Peter was the guy. He was the spokesperson for this community. He was the outgoing one. But I'd never seen this until I started studying for this message. Because you see, in Acts chapter 2, there's this place where Peter's getting ready to preach the first message after Jesus is rolled out. He's getting ready to preach the first message. And we see that then Peter stepped up in Acts chapter 2, verse 14. He stepped up to preach by himself, right? No. You see, Peter wasn't doing ministry alone. It says, then Peter stepped forward with the 11 other apostles. See, Jesus, or Peter in Acts chapter 2, wasn't preaching like I am to you today. He had a crew with him. He had a community with him because he knew that's what the people needed. And then he stepped up and he shouted to the crowd, listen carefully, all of you fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem. Make no mistake about this. And then he preaches the first sermon. Do you know what Acts chapter 2 tells us happened? That in one message, in one day, the church grew from 120 people to 3,000 people. In one day, one message. Do you know why? Because it was a group of people who understood the value of community and they were outward facing. They were an inclusive group of people because they knew that Jesus had called them to multiply the connections that they had. Those 120 people went 
and each of them, to hit 2,880 additional members in one day, that meant that each of the 120 went and found 25 people to connect with, to be in relationship with, to bring them in. They chased after them. They invited them in and said, listen, you need to be a part of this. And in one day, church grew by 3,000 people. I told you, next week, here at Faith Church, we will almost double in size. We'll have over 4,000 people here next week. Imagine if we could all take this to heart and if all those visitors, when they come in, if they don't see this, right? If they don't see our backsides and they actually, when they come in, they see a group of people that are like this, welcoming them, inviting them in. There's a place for you because Jesus died for you. We want to be in relationship with you. We want to be in community with you because that's what Jesus would do. That's what Jesus did. And because of that, there was a group of people who literally altered the course of the world as we know it today. All because they lived their life doing what Jesus did. So just like last week, here's my question. How are we doing? How are we doing? Last week I asked you the question that if every member of our church loved their neighbor, invited people in, right? Reached and served others just like you do, how well will we be doing as a church? How would people see us as a church if everybody loved others like you love others? Today I ask you the same question. But when it comes to connection, if everybody in our church made room in our lives to connect with other people the way you make room in your life to connect with other people, would there be any room for new people to come in? Or are you so good at staying in your own little circle with your own little group of friends, hanging out in your own little connect groups that you never make room, you never open up? If everybody connected the way you connect, those hundreds of visitors that come next week, is there a place for them? Because if not, guess what? I don't care how big our church is. I don't care how many butts sit in these seats on a Sunday. If we aren't making room for connections with other people, then we, Faith Church, are not living like Jesus did. We're not. We're not. So that's the challenge. Is it uncomfortable? Yeah especially if you're an introvert like me, but here's the deal. We are called as Christ followers to change the world through the power and love of Jesus through the Holy Spirit. And the way you're gonna do that isn't a message, and it's not a song, and it's not a service. It's connection with others, and that requires you. It requires you. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for today, Father. Thank you that you loved us God, that you chased us down when we were running from you, when we were broken sinners, God, who had no hope, God. You came and invited us in so that we can have the only hope that matters, and that's you. God, give us the power, give us the grace and the strength to flip the script, God, and that we wouldn't be an inclusive, we wouldn't be an exclusive group of Christians in our own little bubble, Father, but we would look out to a world who desperately needs you, but who also desperately needs us that we as Faith Church would truly reach people and connect them to God and others. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, guys.